Welcome to Gu Dao Jinxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Today we're going to take a look at chapter 19 of Tao Te Ching, and chapter 19 is really about trying to encourage us to abandon superficial elements of society, like wisdom and virtue, and really just return more to an authentic way of being. And Lao Tzu in this chapter, what he's suggesting is that if we did that, that this natural way of being with each other would be of a, a benefit to society. But before we jump into that, I want to ask you, David, if you had a walking the timeless way moment that you would like to share. Yes. Um, over the past week, uh, you know, I've um, thought a lot about you know, how things work because we live in this really like chaotic world, you know, politically and, you know, societal wise. Um, you know, when you hear from the news, you see a lot of things kind of happening, you know, the, the, the oust of the, uh, you know, the speaker, right? Things, things like that. Uh, I, I kind of contemplate, um, you know, what really, you know, I, I feel like, you know, of all, among all these uh, chaos or noises, there's a kind of silent power operating. By that, I mean, there's a force there which kind of balances things out over the long term. Sometimes when we look at an event in isolation, or we are just like, you know, obsessed with the, the moment. I think we may miss out the long-term effect of things. So that's kind of my realization. With that realization, you know, I start to also realize that there are certain things you just have to wait, you know, have the patience to see, you know, how it's unfolding as opposed to, you know, overreacting to it or be, you know, anxious about it, obsessed with it. I think it makes a lot of sense. The thing that came to mind to me when you were talking about that that way is that it's a very common concept in philosophy of mind, cognitive science, and systems theories that there's this idea of emergence that out of the parts emerges some other thing. And the best example of that is consciousness that out of all of these neural networks and brain activity emerges consciousness. We can't pinpoint where exactly consciousness comes from. It seems to emerge out of all of these components and, Certainly, I think perhaps even one way of thinking about Tao is, you know, this e emergent thing that arises out of all of the natural things that are occurring and, and that there's this bigger force that comes out of that, like you were talking about, if we don't just get caught in the moment. And maybe even one way of describing that is, history, you know, history arises emerges out of all of these events. But of course, we're talking about something even more um, deeper, which is, is Tao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the history is certainly a, uh, you know, a source of insights on how that thing, that thing, that bigger thing works. I mean, just like, Look at you know back to the you know the what's happening in the uh, in the House of Representatives. You know you probably can remember you know at the beginning of the year you know when you know the speaker 
you know, it took maybe like 15 times, mm -hmm. right? So, and all that kind of forces, you know, eventually will lead to, you know, what, what happened just a few days ago. You see like how these things kind of turned out, right? So, um, you know, he was trying to work very hard to get that power, but then by, in order to get that power, you know, he made some compromise, you know, with some of the, you know, different uh, players in a game. And then eventually those players and, you know, use that power they negotiated to overthrow him. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking as an almost like a natural force, mm -hmm. right? And we're just like all seeing that unfolding. I, I mean, I, this is just an example. I see that happening, you know, at the international stage. I mean, in different spheres of our, our life. So that tells me, you know, what's the use of just like trying to calculate and all that? Because those larger forces is at play to, you know, set things, you know, put things in its own in, in, in its place. It seems to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the um, events that just happened in the Middle East recently, mm -hmm. we talk about the the defense spending of Israel and mm -hmm. you know their intelligence agencies and and how much how many financial resources they have, and you know this billion dollar kind of defense system, etc. And then there's just this kind of ridiculously absurd scene of mm -hmm. these videos on the internet of people like paragliding in to Israel and, and, you know, large machinery kind of poking holes in the wall and all these people coming in on motorcycles and, and just, you know, it, it didn't seem to matter how much intelligence they had or planning or money or these things, this other thing happened that completely caught them off guard. They weren't prepared for it. And, you know, again, these forces that are, you know, battling with each other to try to balance that out, that there's certainly always something going on that the planning just it, it's irrelevant because of how Dow works this you know yin and yang and and how forces rise and fall and and are yes. always working to yes. balance each other out yes 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 if we all kind of observe that kind of naturally you know without i mean sometimes we tend to you know, take a, you know, a moral stand mm -hmm. and, and to get into the, 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 the game of things. Mm -hmm. Pick a, then, picking a side. Picking sides or take a stand and which tends to sometimes complicate, mm -hmm. you know, complicate things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly does. And even there was something I had seen on the internet, um, just kind of charting, the different political spheres and with the things going, the, the significant battles going on internationally right now, how that all works out. Like this group supports Israel and Russia, this group supports Hamas and Russia, this group support. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it gets so complicated. And of course um, it's sort of this just a absurd situation then where we're trying to wrap our tiny little minds around yeah, this much yeah. bigger thing and how futile that is where, you know, looking at it from this stance of um, just, you know, uh, more objectively and, and just noticing what's happening seems to be, um, well, a more Taoist way of looking at it. Right. Totally agree. Yeah. Which is actually, it's interesting that I think our study of the chapter 19 has a connection to it. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I'm, I would like to see if um, you would be willing to do a, a, a reading in 
using the original Chinese, and then I'll read a translation, and then we can kind of get into the discussion. Sure. 决人弃志,名利百倍,决人弃义,名复孝慈,决巧弃利,盗贼无有,此三者以为文,不足,勿令有所属,见素报朴,少思寡欲,决学无忧。Thank you, David. I'm going to follow in your footsteps and the translation I'm going to do today, I'm, I'm going to read Stephen Mitchell's translation. Just They tend to be very consistent and, and keep the heart of things without drifting too far away from the original Chinese words. Mm-hmm. Throw away holiness and wisdom and people will be a hundred times happier. Throw away morality and justice, and people will do the right thing. Throw away industry and profit, and there won't be any thieves. If these three aren't enough, just stay at the center of the circle and let all things take their course. So kind of working backwards, there's some significant words in in this chapter, um, su and pu. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if if we're really digging into what Lao Tzu is saying, which is to, to see what is simple and embrace simplicity or plainness Mm -hmm. what exactly do you think we're supposed to see and embrace um well first of all the the word su in chinese um is the uh undyed natural natural colored silk and 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 the pu you know, it's usually referring to unprocessed wood. So, you know, as you can picture in your mind, those things are not really not um, embellished or I think it's actually the characteristics of pretty much Tao versus, you know, when we start to build a human civilization, you know, we start to put a layer of, you know, embellishment to it, right? Um, so what Lao Tzu is suggesting here is, you know, and we may, we go back to the very beginning, we return to the, the fundamentals. Well, describe more how nature is simple and plain and and doesn't embellish in, in the way that human civilization does uh nature uh i mean if you look around in nature i mean you just you know every day when i walk around my the lake uh, in my neighborhood i notice for example the the birds or the squirrels I mean, they're pretty simple. I mean, they don't, like us, they don't overthink. They just focus on their basic needs. You know, you when you look into their eyes, you know, it's so, it seems to me like so pure, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I think about... There's an innocence mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, I think when you were talking about that, I thought about, you know, looking into the eyes of pet cats and yes exactly that there you can tell there it's almost like looking into this deep hole because yes yes you can just see this natural beauty and and their eyes and and whatever it is that's going on in their mind it's not 
they're not trying to impress you. They're not trying to be anything other than what they just are. And that certainly is much different than what we see today in um, human society. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the the Garden of Eden, you know, in the Bible is similar to that. You know, maybe, you know, uh, metaphorically, when you look at Adam and Eve, or they, I mean, they, they, before they eat that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, they have no sense of their self or a sense of shame. And, you know, they don't cover up things. So, you know, that's the Su and the pool we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and that word shame that you mm-hmm. brought up, it just, it made me think about how shame used to be a characteristic to try to get people to notice when their behavior was not pro-social, when it was harming the mm-hmm. tribe, harming the family and shame arose as a way of, of sensing the, the damage that was being caused in that way where now it seems to be like many other natural forms of human emotion mm-hmm. to coerce people to um, be more productive, to buy things. You know, if, if you wear, if you buy these clothes, you can feel better about yourself. If you buy this car, you can feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. And certainly that would go against Lao Tzu's admonishment that we should just live simply and unadorned and, and without complexity. And so we can get into it a little bit more, but just from at first glance, it, it does seem like our society is, is not in the same ballpark as what Lao Tzu described. I want to dig a little bit more into the text first. And, mm-hmm. you know, Lao Tzu says that people will profit a hundred times if we discard wisdom and sageliness. I mean, what's, how does that relate? I mean, Lao Tzu, he'll do this quite often. I mean, he'll, he'll make a statement, but because the, the Tao Te Ching is so brief, he, he doesn't necessarily provide a lot of evidence. We're supposed to just sort of do that part ourselves or, or intuit it. So we want to try to fill in some of these gaps for people who maybe mm-hmm. haven't put a lot of thought into the text, but, but kind of sense that there's something there. So you know, what is the cause and effect here? How, how does discarding wisdom and sageliness help people to profit? Mm-hmm. So first of all, the uh, wisdom and sageness, uh, Lao Tzu is referring here, I don't think it's the same, you know, although it's the same Chinese word, like sheng, right? Because in other chapters, we talked about sheng, which is like sageness, right? But in here, the sheng is more of um, the artificial contrived type that you elevate, um, you know, your position, your virtue, your conduct to a level of a sage. So this would be like the Pharisees in the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's a, because people, um, no, that is an ideal, right? It's a natural idea, ideal people aspire to. So then there are a lot of like a copies, like um, there are a lot of, um, how would you say, the people kind of start to make it up or pretend yeah. to be, you know, like a sage. Or maybe even a, a more modern example would be like a, a mega televangelist or something where for, for people on the outside looking, it, it just seems so phony and so fake. Whatever it is. I mean, you see that in all kind of human sphere, uh, in academia, on the left and on the right, you see all these different forms of that kind of thing. 
Yeah. You know, some people try to take one idea or one ideology and claim they are the um, the zenith, the 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 role model of that. You know, sometimes even in the name of you know equity or justice, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's the sheng. It's mm-hmm. that kind of sheng, right? That that kind mm-hmm. of sheng that they they claim to be. Yeah. So they like, seem to be. Yeah, yeah. like a, a a demagogue of any type who is really just exploiting a situation and trying to say, hey, I'm the one who can save you from this, but it's really not about being helpful. It's about elevating themselves and that sort of thing. Yeah, sometimes intentionally. I I, I, I would say some people may, you know, have a, uh, you know, their hidden agenda behind all this, or sometimes even unconsciously. You know, some want... Some people want to do good things, but be, just because of that unconsciousness drives them to do the opposite with the unintended consequences. Yeah, and I'm sure once once they get a few people encouraging them, that gets positively reinforced. And if they're not doing some kind of deep self-reflection on, mm-hmm. hey, am I really seeing things clearly or am I caught up now in this fantasy that other people are helping me perpetuate, but then we can see probably a lot of people become true believers of this, this kind of false story. Yes. Yes. So going back to that, that text. So what Lao's talking is, you know, was talking about here, Sheng and Zhi are these kind of behaviors. So if those behaviors are kind of reduced or abandoned, Lao's be, believe that will save a lot of time and energy. You know, people are not kind of counterproductive anymore. You know, they can be just be more natural and be more authentic. Can you give us an example maybe of where, and it can be totally made up, but an example where maybe this kind of negative shung or juror is, is being used and it actually gets in the way of, um, you know, this more authentic, natural way of, of being. And so pe- the people are actually then worse off where if, if that had not been employed, the people would have been way, way better off. I think if we go back to history, uh, the let's say take the Chinese history for example, you know there are two major schools of thoughts. One is Taoism, the other is Confucianism. You know we all know that Confucianism emerged during a time when there was chaos in China. So it's it it played a very positive role in you know harmonizing relationships promoting, you know, ethical conduct, um, which is all a good thing in, you know, regulating, in in creating a a form of governance, like in that part of history. But later on, because it was positive, then the ruling elites during Han Dynasty turned that into a almost like official ideology, like um, not say like a religion, but it's ideology. So then later on, people even like say, uh, encourage common people to read Confucian textbooks, right? And pass exams as a way to enter into get a job in the in the in the imperial courts or governments. But as things start to go on, it, it kind of morph into something, lots of things. You know, sometimes people have, you know, ambitions. They don't really give, um, they don't really care about the spirit of that. They, they just want to do it and uh, for, the, for the sake of getting what they want. So, you know, those kind of things, I think Lao Tzu, um, started to, to see, but that's what happened later on, you know, after Lao Tzu. But Lao Tzu during his time already 
it was insightful to see the the start to see the 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 early signs of it because when th something is promoted uh it, it just gets distorted and uh misused or abused so that's one example the other thing i would say as a you know executive coach i see a lot of times in the organizations in companies um you know certain value are promoted let's say collaboration or innovation, whatever it is. But because of the existence of what I call the power dynamics or power differential, usually a leader's wishes or suggestions even turned out to be an order. Whether it's a good idea or a stupid idea, a leader's idea can get so amplified and distorted throughout the organization because everybody was, you know, take that thing, that idea and say, I'm promoting it. So you, mm -hmm. you see how these things once, so leader, wise leaders, you know, tend to speak a little bit less because they know whatever they say will be amplified. Those, but some leaders are not really conscious or aware of the, that kind of power differential. So, they, they, they tend to talk a lot and then people take what they are speak, we're talking about and, uh, you know, all use that to pursue their own hidden agenda throughout the organization. That's, that's another example. Yeah. It can, it can get complicated quickly. Yes. And, and I think that this, um, just the, the notion of ideologies and in general certainly is the the thing that really sets human kind apart from the rest of nature that for there to be ideologies there has to be symbolic thinking and language and we know people are really the only species that have excelled at that and it's interesting because while that has helped people to succeed, what Lao Tzu is saying is like, hey, this is, it's being taken too far. And and Taoism, as we know, is all about moderation. And so I'm wondering if you can talk some more about the unintended consequences when ideologies go too far when when this human strength gets taken to extremes like creating and following ideologies you know what what happens how how why do these ideologies arise even and and then you know what happens when they last too long or get followed too um, unquestioningly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I remember, you know, uh, Nietzsche used to uh, write a book about the, uh, the morality, right? He used the word tyrannical impulses. Basically, he was observing that a certain morality or ideology, you know, emerge out of people's natural impulses, right? Just people maybe want to be kind, want to be, you know, have a sense of freedom or just, okay, which is all natural. But then once you turn those uh, impulses you know, make start to tyrannically, you know, turn into a standard, a golden standard, or um, you know, a certain virtues or values. That's when things start to to change. I mean, I see that uh, in throughout the history of Christianity. I just mentioned Confucianism, and I also see what's happening in democracy. I mean, democracy, when you think about it, really, it is a, you know, people want to have a certain sense of control over their own 
destiny, right? So democracy emerged from that natural desire. You know, people don't want to be ruled by the, you know, the king or the empress, right? So historically, that's a, a progressive force. But if you see democracy today, you see a lot of the tyrannical aspect of it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that democracy is supposed to be about giving voice to what most people want. And and we know what most people want in this country. It's not a mystery. It hasn't really ever been a mystery. People... They want to have good paying jobs so that they feel financially secure. They want yeah. they want to have access to quality education and healthcare to try to um, make sure that you know they can keep working and and people want to contribute to society. I mean, most people there there's always outliers. Yes, yes, yes. But but most people what they want is quite simple and. If democracy was functioning, of course, that's what our politicians would be working toward. But instead, because the two dominant parties in um, in the U.S. at least have become so ideological that it's less about democracy has become less about politicians and the political system working toward giving what most people want and instead trying to to use propaganda to force the common person to accept either the democrat ideology or the republican ideology which is not what they want at all exactly exactly they're they're not you know doing the the su and the pu which means simple ideas, simple desires, right? That most common people mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. They start to, you know, create their own thing, you know, however lofty it is or whatever. It's it's all from their own mind as opposed to responding to and meeting the ordinary people's needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was um, just the times that I would get into kind of trying to understand the political system more and participating, it, it quickly became clear to me that it, it really was not about um, these common, simple things. It, It was about ideology and it just really turned me off just seeing at least the time that that we're living in now, that it it was not anything that could be reasonably pursued, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's why I think you know I'm not alone in that. I think most people at this point find politics disgusting. They find politicians disgusting. They find the whole state of affairs disgusting. And I think this is exactly why, because it's so obvious that it's about all this ideology on both sides and is not about listening to the people and and what their needs are. And this isn't exclusive to democracy. I even remember when I was in China and I was talking to some of the younger people about, you know, what they wanted and what they needed and what they wanted the the government to do or provide and i even asked about democracy and they were like we don't care about having the right to vote but what we do care about is we want to have quality education we want to have quality health care we want to have opportunities and that's the same thing that young people everywhere want so it's yes. it's not even about the political system. It's any political system. If you have leaders who aren't caught up in all of this nonsense and are actually listening to the people and helping them to provide it, that would probably be more important than how that political system is actually structured. Yeah, yeah. It's a means to. It's at the end of the day. It's not a. That is not an end in itself. The end is always people's needs. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. democracy uh, is in certain 
uh, uh, certain parts of the human history that has been so popular and helpful because people see the evidence that it creates that possibility of upward mobility and opportunities and you know um, and uh, a, a abundant life. I think there was a period of time that people are attracted to it. When it stops doing its job, then, you know, it's not surprising that, you know, people start to lose faith in it. Yeah, that just democracy alone is, isn't enough, that there's certainly been times where the political system did need to shift and become more democratic for society to heal in some way or get their needs met better. But as we can see now that even democracy itself can start failing, institutions can fail. And uh, of course, in the context of this chapter, we could say that it's you know when these leaders depart from Tao and try to become, you know, sagely and um, get caught up in being the sort of icons of their ideology that it just creates more and more polarization and, and people are getting less and less of what they need. Um, there, there's two more concepts in, in this chapter that I was wondering if you could talk about. So there, there's the concepts of Ren and E. And um, both of those have to do with um, feelings toward humanity. Um, Ren is sort of the you know benevolence, and and E is is kind of this virtue or righteousness. And and of course, you can um, elaborate on those definitions however you want. But Lao Tzu also admonishes those two words and and saying that they can get in the way of this sort of natural love natural filial piety can you talk more about those two terms and how Lao Tzu sees them as potentially causing problems uh both uh ren and yi those two concepts are very central to confucianism in fact, uh, before Confucianism, uh, De, uh, you know, in the Chinese history, that was a, a, a key concept. And then within De, there are all different uh, different forms, different kinds. And uh, then it was Confucius himself that turned that Ren into a central concept. Uh, if you look at the the history of thoughts in China. So in the beginning, it's it's just like a way, you know, it's almost like Confucius was looking around and looking at all these, uh, you know, bad behaviors uh, or unren behaviors, right? Mm. So kind of he started to think about, okay, how can we... Uh, how can we create a system or idea that will restore some of the lost uh, rent? I mean, he, uh, let me put it this way. Before Confucius, I think people through tradition, let's say, or customs, they did it kind of naturally, you know, that's when the or the spirit of Ren still was uh, alive. And this okay. De is the De and Dao De. Yes, Dao De Jing De. Yes, yes. And uh, but then because of the the wars and you know the the power struggles during Confucius time, that spirit has been lost. Okay, so there needs to be a solution to it. So Confucius, by studying the, the ancient text himself, was trying to bring together a concept. It's almost like finding a, 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 a framework 
which he called a ren, to describe a set of conducts and behaviors that show that spirit. So that's what was happening during that time. Well, because it was through language, again, through the, 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 the vehicle of language, you know, people ha can have a different interpretation of it. So instead of later on, instead of like focusing on the Ren essence or behavior or spirit, people just like wave that Ren and say, you know, it's almost like, um, I don't know, like a virtual signaling or mm -hmm. the, those kind of behaviors in the society. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a simulation rather than the real thing. And it, yeah. it's sort of equivalent to how we call social media social because it's supposed to be some kind of socializing, but it's not, so, <laughs> it's not, it's not socializing at all. It's, it's not even close to an actual social interaction with other human beings. It's so far away from the essence of what it is for a few people to actually get together and connect with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then kind of turning to, you know, lots of hypocrisies, hmm. you know, people just, again, they, they will say something of, they, they will say they are Ren, but maybe they are not. Hmm. They just seem to be. So we're back to this place where human cleverness, when it goes too far and when it becomes kind of central at whatever is happening, that's kind of the, the fatal flaw of, of humanity. It's, it's that strength actually then becomes the, the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to do with the complexity, I guess, with human nature and human systems. Uh, when I think, you know, just based on everything I read about Confucius, he was very sincere. He even like traveled around all different kingdoms to promote that, but no one, no one really listened to him because everyone was like trying to actually, actually it was after, okay. It was after he died, his idea became popular. He, he did have students, those students who follow him and, you know, wrote down what he said, but during his time, you know, he felt very discouraged and he said, you know, no one just really listened to me. So really a, a, a whole lot, a, a parallel to Jesus story where even when Jesus was alive, yeah, he had some really devout, devoted followers, yes. but, but, yes. what, but what did he say when he was dying? He was like, you know, father, why have you forsaken me? Meaning like I did all this for nothing. Like there was no, he couldn't yes. see the benefit of what he had, had done. Even in his death, he just saw that it, it didn't didn't accomplish anything. Yes. I would add there's another parallel, which is, you know, the Roman Empire uh, endorsed Christianity later and say this is the state kind of religion, yep. right? 323. It's similar. Yeah. And a similar thing happened to Confucius' idea. It wasn't during like Confucius' time that he got very, his idea got popular. It was during, okay, so after the warring states, there was the Qing, the first empire, right? But that empire was so like a militant and so cruel that it has a very short dynasty, right? It, it just united a whole warring state and become a one big empire, but it just like lived very short. So the rulers from the, after that dynasty is the Han dynasty. During that time, they did a lot of self-reflection and say, oh, what happened to them? They seem to be powerful, uh, but they, you know, they use force. So at that time, suddenly Ren and the Confucius idea became suddenly they, they said, oh, you know, we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't be like a Qing empire. Maybe we can just use, uh, make full use of the idea of the Ren so everybody will become, you know, ethical and conduct themselves. And it's easier to, to, to rule the empire through that kind of idea. So that's why later on, 
you know, the whole system around the Confucianism happened. So it's really the marriage of the original impulses, the idea, you know, with some kind of uh, institutionalization that turned that into a big thing. But once it turned into a powerful thing, again, lots of fake stuff happened. Yeah, this this fake stuff. And that's kind of what we're seeing in, in this chapter, lots of talking about all these fake things that they they mask and get in the way of actually getting to the essence there's there's a couple of terms that have arisen mm-hmm. in postmodern philosophy that i think get into this a lot the the first one is simulacrum and that's a term that's used to describe a copy of a copy of a copy it kind of just keeps on going where eventually that current copy is so far removed from where it originally began that it's lost any original meaning or connection to reality the mm-hmm. the second term is hyper reality and that's a concept it refers to the blurring of the lines between what is real and what is fiction and particular in a society that's completely saturated with with media and simulations and so both of those terms i think lautza would have how do you think lautza would have um thought about those those two terms and and particular how they show up in our society you mean what 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 would be Lao's kind of response? I I don't think he will be very surprised. Right. Surprised exactly. To see these things. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So you know. So maybe expand. Can you expand on those postmodern terms in the context of what Lao wrote in chapter nineteen? I think fundamentally it has a lot to do with the human maybe cognition and the language. I think on the one hand, that human mind and the, the, well, with the human mind, the consciousness, human consciousness, there's the tool, this technology called language, um, you know, becomes a, a, a powerful tool. But then the tool start to you know, they're supposed to be at service, service, right? They serve human needs, but they become so powerful, they become the master. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's what Laozi is warned about. Like, say, you know, what is the root, what is the most fundamental? Mm. And what are the, the kind of the derivatives? Mm. Tao is the fundamental, yep. but we, 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 it's almost like we, uh, we we put the uh, we put the cart before the horse or something. Well, even these two terms, so simulacrum and hyperreality, mm-hmm. this whole movement arose that eventually got called postmodernism because they they did see accurately that you know Jur was not getting us anywhere, and Jur, you know, all the cleverness and knowledge it wasn't fixing society's problems and so they came up with this whole you know critique of that this philosophical critique called postmodernism but but what's funny is that they actually didn't let go of the cleverness and you know start they they still kept talking about things and all these intellectual concepts Yeah, mm-hmm. they're still like attracting that they're still system, ex- right? Exactly. Even though they they tried to uh, deconstruct, they tried to overthrow that, but their own behavior is still reflects what they are trying to uh, criticize. Or a hundred percent, which is why I don't trust the, those people to come up with good solutions because they're just going to replace an old system of cleverness with a new system of cleverness. And I've met these people. I've met them. I've met numerous people like this where they can see the limitations of this clever system, but they can't see exactly what you said, which is that they're still trapped, not in that particular system, 
mm-hmm. but a, a system of cleverness and ideology that's just, it's not going to solve any of the problems. It's just going to replace the previous system problems with, with new ones and repackage it. And it's really kind of absurd and funny talking to someone like that who, who, you know, you can agree on so many things and then, um, you can tell that there's this departure then when, you know, through, you know, some sort of ideological activism or even, you know, revolutionary behavior, they think it's going to, um, solve the problem and it doesn't. Right. Right. I share that sentiment. I think a lot of people nowadays probably too, because when they look at whatever, like two camps or, uh, opposing parties or ideas or tribes, they remain silent. You know, there's a, like a silent, you know, people say maybe silent majority. I think the reason they silent is probably they feel like they can't trust any of these, you know, mm-hmm. like they will use the same logic and tactic, you know, just to attack to each other, but claiming they're better than the other one. So I think people will just, mm-hmm. just like the silent power in the universe, you know, here's the silent majority and, and not, you know, engaging enough to wanting to participate. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are participating, but there are also like a lot of people who are just like, like watching, you know, like, like watching a show. Yeah. And I think history supports that. And and so, you know, we also have to look at how all of these processes are still part of Dow. I think the, the big thing that happens is that people get caught up in the moment and in their particular little piece of time and, and think mm-hmm. that, you know, this tiny little ideology is the truth where, you know, we look at how things unfold and, and obviously it's, it's just constant change, which is what, um, Taoism kind of gets into, but there's another law that when we were talking about this, the, the iron law of oligarchy that, that kind of fits in with, with what we're talking about in, in this chapter. And so I'm wondering if you can also talk about how this iron law of oligarchy might play a role in um, what we're seeing in, in society and, and how, you know, how it relates to some of these concepts from chapter 19. Mm -hmm. I think the key idea there is the, um, is, um, Uh, it's kind of, again, the, the ideal, whether it's democracy or even communism, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think communism used to emerge as an ideal kind of in reaction, you know, to a lot of the, the ills mm-hmm. of capitalism, yeah. right? So those things, uh, they, they started good, but they some, for whatever reason, they morph into or perverted into something that is totally different from mm-hmm. its original idea. So the, uh, the iron law here is also, I mean, basically the author is, you know, trying to observe, you know, here's what happens to democracy and um, when democracy at the very you know beginning is encourages engagement and participation and uh, and also the informed you know more broad based informed citizen right they 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 um, they participate participate in the you know decision making mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. but because of you know a lot of the social factors uh it getting so you know thing issues are getting so complex and the, and the people I, I think people it's way over people's heads mm-hmm. right 
so they will disengage because they have a life uh, to mm-hmm. to live. Mm-hmm. So the, a bunch of like people who are turning themselves into professionals, mm-hmm. they are the ones who are you know because their livelihood depends on it. So they turn into um, you know it's it's becoming their main job. So um, they start to seek control over it. They put the, their own agenda, even though you know at the beginning they claim they are representing the people. Mm-hmm. So you can see that people are getting exhausted because uh, because it's too complex, mm-hmm. right? They're mm-hmm. getting disengaged, and these people uh, they 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 are so dependent on it. So that creates the the phenomenon of really at the end of the day, de- democracy will. Um, Will, will decline and mm-hmm. decay into some like an oligarchy. Like it's it's basically a bunch of people fighting with each other uh, for their own interests. Yeah, disconnected from the their... people entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's called the Iron Law because that's seems to like how human beings, human nature works. It's hard to maintain a large scale, broad-based kind of active engagement, you know, mm-hmm. unless like you, for, for, for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's why it, it goes that through that, you know, beginning and growth and then decline, decline. And, and so there is sort of this Taoist process that we can see, you know, of, of, rejuvenation, decline, creation, destruction. And even in democracy, when, when we start seeing that true democracy has kind of deteriorated, the people have disconnected either because the leaders are no longer listening or they're actively making it so complex so that they can be the only ones to yes. understand it and pull the levers. Technocrats, that's a common word that we here, but that's sort of what we're talking about, which is that once that um, system starts decaying, power will be used in self-serving oligarchical ways rather than the way that Lao Tzu would talk about, which is just the simple, plain, listen, if you're a leader, listen to what the people need, listen to what they want. And clearly in um, much of the world today, I'd say we're, we're very much on the opposite extreme of that. Yeah, probably leaders like more spontaneously listened and paying attention to their needs. That's probably was the case at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. That's what gave the real power to democracy Mm -hmm. as it it arise, as it arises. Mm -hmm. But now we are at a state why that's not working anymore because we cannot return to that very beginning. So at the very beginning, the few individuals who, you know, let's say, you know, including like they, they say the founding fathers, they probably thought and acted in a way pretty much in alignment with the, the heavenly, like with the Tao. Mm-hmm. That's why it just... Uh, start to have that attraction and forces. You know, you see that happening at the very beginning. You see that even in Roman Empire. The reason Roman Empire, they start to, you know, become, they they arose because at that time they are all together. Mm. You know, there's not much of uh, inequality Mm -hmm. between the people. The, the, The people who lead them, they have to, be part of the people. Hmm. Well, David, thank you for your insights and thank you to the listeners for joining us in today's discussion of chapter 19 of Tao Te Ching. Until next time, please continue to engage with your own personal path of walking the timeless way. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you and is entirely listener-supported. If you find value in our discussions of Tao, 
please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via the website.